0: Hi, this is Mika from The Ortho Show. Well, as with everyone else, our plans have changed a bit over the last few weeks. In fact, for the first time in our short history, we decided to work with a sponsor, an orthopedic company by the name of Kairos, to make these AAOS episodes possible. Then when the Academy took the wise decision to cancel, we just assumed that was that. But Kairos, to their credit, said we should go ahead anyway, and they very generously wanted to continue to support our newly dubbed Alternative or Alt AAOS episodes. A collection of interviews from surgeons who had intended to deliver presentations in Orlando, bringing you their key message here on The Ortho Show. Medical media. This is the Auto Show. This edition of the Auto Show, Alt AOS, is brought to you by Kairos North America. Kairos are excited to be launching their new Infinity Lock button system, a super simple, super fast ACJ repair system. No coracoid drilling, high strength, low stress, less time. Check out the Infinity Lock and Kairos' other new innovations at kairosna.com. That's X-I-R-O-S-N-A dot We hope you enjoy this first episode of our Alt-A-A-O-S.
1: Well, I'm Jorge Chala. I'm an orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine specialist from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. Um, We work uh, associated with the Rush University Medical Center in uh, Chicago, Illinois. I'm an assistant professor and director of biomechanical research and director of the international fellowship here, and we're team physicians for the Chicago Bulls, the Chicago Fire, and the Chicago White Sox.
2: Well, Jorge. Welcome to the Ortho Show. Thanks for making the time. Obviously, you and I were hoping, or you, I, and Mika were hoping that we uh, would be able to get together in person and, and have a chat with you about the many things that you were going to be presenting at the AAOS. Uh, unprecedented times, AOS canceled. You're now in uh, Chicago holding up. I'm uh I've moved our entire podcast studio into my spare bedroom and here we are making the best of it. So uh, what I wanted to ask you about first of all is a little bit about the um presentations you were planning on doing around biologics which uh, you know we you've told me is an area close to your heart and just uh you know to ask what what were you planning to talk about there at the WAOS and and what what was your messaging there.
1: So thank you so much for having me in the first place this is a a great initiative and I, and I think uh, the more and more we have these programs, uh, the better it is. So we can kill our downtime when we're driving or when we have any downtime to try to learn new things and to try to get to know new people. So I commend you guys on on getting this set up.
2: Oh, good man, Jorge. Um, five five dollars coming your way for that endorsement. <laughs> love
1: it! I can keep going for ten. <laughs> um, thank you very much for having me. Um, well. As you said, uh, unprecedented times, American Academies is such a good uh, place for gathering and for sharing knowledge that it's kind of a bummer that it's now been put off, but I think for the right reasons, and I, I commend all the leadership at the American Academy for, for taking such a drastic and accurate decision from a point of view. My presentations were mainly regarding uh, biologics and uh, complex knee pathology regarding biologics. Most of the things that we're trying to study now is the real outcome or the real effect that some of the biological treatments have in different pathologies. Because although the hype and the misinformation has been significant over the past ten years, the real science has not been at the level of the hype that we've had so far, and the press um, and all the, the 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 motion and and uh, push that we've had so far from the public. One of the things that we want to study was basically trying to understand if we are injecting any type of biologics is what or how that knee or how that shoulder or how that joint is doing at that time point. Because what we've been failing to do is basically diagnosing accurately what's going on within the joint. For example, if you have a catabolic disease, an inflammatory disease or a degenerative disease disease that may require a different treatment. And so far, what we've done is doing this shotgun approach where we treat every single disease with the same approach. Let's say we don't modify PRP or we don't modify BMAC for each specific pathology or tissue. And this is where we need to move forward to create, let's say, a PRP 2.0 or a a stem cell 2.0 where we are actually targeting what we want to treat.
2: So apart from the obvious, which is just time and data, How do you go about identifying the correct secret source for each pathology?
1: So there are multiple things that um, we started to study. There are some molecules within biologics that are not beneficial for anybody, such as interleukins, MMPs that can produce tissue degeneration and, and further inflammation. So those are the things that we should be thinking of blocking or enhancing depending on the pathology. There are also some uh, tissue-specific molecules, such as having TGF beta, which will create uh, too much scar tissue if you're trying to recreate muscle, or too much VEGF, which will cause uh, a repair tissue within cartilage that might not be as good as cartilage. Or when you try to recreate bone, for example, if you block Nogin, then you're going to be blocking uh, BMP. So those are the things that we need to be thinking about when we're treating tissue-specific problems. And um, once we do that, we're going to be able to understand a little bit better what we're treating and how we're treating it with a more specific and flexible and customized solution.
2: But Biologics have been around a while. You know, More and more data is being produced. It's something that we're obviously seeing at shows such as the AAOS. Um, where do you think the pendulum swung to so, I guess specifically, what I'm saying is, what, what do you think that we're doing currently with biologics that maybe we shouldn't be doing? Because we're, we're we're starting to get the understanding that you know it's not that's not really working or it's not really appropriate. And and where do you where should people go, or where do you think the pendulum is going to swing back to in, in terms of what we should be doing, I and mean, where do they get the information?
1: That's a great question. I think to begin with, we need to police the use of biologics significantly more. And I think the FDA is having increasing efforts at trying to do this, but it's, it's really hard because there's more and more clinics that are injecting things and promising things that might not be true, or at least not supported by science. So I think as a first uh, measure, we need to be sure that what we're doing is safe. And that's why I think we need to comply and, and obey uh, the rules of the FDA and, and, and try to be working within their limits because uh, their uh, reasoning or their limits are meant to be, you know, hard, and, and and sometimes we try to manipulate the rules to try to go above and beyond what we can do. But I don't think this is a, a safe area, mainly because we're working with tissue that can potentially have the effect of, uh, uh, you know, a, a cancer cell, which is a progenitor cell or, or a mesenchymal stem cell. So as long as we're working within the confines of uh, the FDA, I think those are the things that we need to be looking at and try to avoid uh, all these clinics that promise, you know, your cartilage is going to be completely rest- restored if you use stem cells or your tendon is going to be reattached if you use stem cells. Those are all claims that have not been supported by literature so far. Um, where do I feel that this is going to go from in five to 10 years? I think at some point we're going to need to be much more specific, as I said before, in what we're treating and try to be much more specific with the molecules or the things that we're injecting and not just using PRP to treat, you know, elbow epicondylitis and uh, knee osteoarthritis, because we know, although this is a a good anti-inflammatory, the main thing that we want to get out of biologics is a structural change. And so far we've been highly or largely unsuccessful in uh, trying to repair the structure, at least in in an in vivo setting. We've done this in an in vitro setting, which is great. So means, that means that there is a potential for it. But um, clinical studies have failed to demonstrate any significant structural benefit, at least in the majority of the studies. There are some reports that it might, for example, improve the quality or the, or the volume of the tissue. However, this has not been reproduced in high-level random, high randomized clinical trials.
2: Jorge, who's, in addition to yourself, I mean, is there a society or an organization who's doing the majority of this work and collating this data?
1: So there's multiple people trying to do isolated efforts throughout the country and throughout the world. Um, In an effort to try to centralize a little bit of these efforts, there was a biologics alliance that was created one or one year and a half ago. And that Biologics Alliance basically had representatives from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, ASSM and ANA, which are the sports societies, um, ICRS, the Cartilage Society, um, and other societies as well. And uh, the purpose of this society was to basically centralize all the efforts and create guidelines for uh, safe use of this biologics, try to create a repository of information and also samples that can be analyzed later on and try to create a registry. So I think um, this will be an important measure that will aid in significant amount of data that we can analyze to try to understand this new world of biologics a little bit better so we can treat our patients and serve our patients in a more informed uh, way, let's put it, let's say. So
2: so let's round out the biologic subject there, actually. we in your opinion, what does the future hold in biologics? Where, where are we headed?
1: I think biologics is the future. We've been treating most of our diseases, let's say, at least for sports, you know, meniscal tears, cartilage tears, and ligaments with a mechanical solution. Let's say that you have a, a cartilage tear or a chondral, an osteochondral defect, you treat that with an osteochondral allograft. But we're not treating this with biologics because we quite don't understand this very well. However, I think at some point, we're going to Instead of putting sutures into a meniscus, putting a glue that might have the specific uh, repair molecule that can help that uh, meniscus heal. So I think it's a future, but we're at the bottom of a pyramid still.
2: A little, some ways to go still. Could you give me your, what your key message, your takeaway message would have been around your biologics presentation?
1: So the key message for biologics presentation is that we need to better understand what we're treating. And um, that means if that's an inflammatory, degenerative, or catabolic disease, to be able to customize our biological treatments to that specific, not only uh, condition, but also tissue that we're treating at that time point. And also to try to understand through further uh, research and investigations, what is the real outcome and effect of these therapies, as well as its safety
2: so let, let's switch gears for a moment. So also at the AAOS, you were planning on doing some, some talks and some presentations on um, ligament repair around the knee. Is that right? Am I framing that correctly? Uh,
1: that's correct. So we've been studying more and more complex knee injuries within the knee, which mean injuries that have uh, multiple ligaments involved. And, um, you know, previously th- these patients were taught to be basically – this was supposed to be like a career-ending procedure when you had a ligament reconstruction. And now um, my mentor, uh, Robert Pratt, and um, myself, after we, we've been trying to do some research and trying to understand not only the anatomy and the biomechanics of these injuries, but also how reconstructing anatomically all these structures can basically get these patients back to wherever they want to do and even get them back to sports. So um, what we're finding now is that if you do an anatomically based reconstruction and get those patients moving fast, even the first day after surgery where they have a range of motion from, let's say, 0 to 90 on the the first day of surgery, get them on physical therapy and get them through rehab, they can be back uh, playing whatever sports they want to play even after a multi-ligament reconstruction.
2: Yeah, that's impressive. So let's talk about that for a moment. You're you're saying that the next day you're already starting range of motion. When are you getting those patients weight-bearing?
1: So we're doing that. That's another portion of our studies. We're trying to understand if uh, weight-bearing is actually detrimental or beneficial to some of our patients. We found that, for example, when you do an ACL plus a lateral collateral ligament reconstruction, doing partial weight-bearing from day zero, does not affect uh, the laxity of the ligament. So we're starting to understand that probably weight bearing might not be as bad as previously thought, at least for ligamentous reconstruction, as long as you put those ligaments where they need to be, meaning that if you put them back to their um, anatomic position.
2: Now, what about, what about um, bracing or, or range of motion restriction you know, immediately postoperatively?
1: So we try not to restrict range of motion because if you put the ligaments where they belong, you can move your knee because you're assuming that those ligaments will have the same isometry or anisometry that they should have natively, right? So that means that you should be able to test this in the OR and uh, ligaments should not stretch out and should be basically isometric at that point. And uh, if you do that, you're basically safe to move those patients right away. They should be moving from 0 to 90. I think uh, one of my mentors used to say motion is lotion. So the faster you can get them to move, the faster you're going to get them to recover and also avoid other types of complications such as blood clots and so forth. So I think um, it's our routine to try to move those patients as fast as we can. In regards to bracing, that, that's a phenomenal question because although we use bracing quite often, I would say routinely, Sometimes they might not be needed. If you think about it, most countries besides the U.S. don't have the access to uh, to braces. So most of them do not use them in a, in a routine basis. Uh, at least they would use just an immobilizer for the first three to four days until they recover uh, good quadriceps control. And after that, they're basically without the brace. I think the braces have a better... Or have a better significance once you've repaired anything on the lateral side of the knee, either a post lateral corner or a post corner of the knee where you can actually avoid side to side motions. The other brace that I usually use routinely which is uh, something really important in my practice is for PCLs because we have now dynamic braces where you can actually put the tibia forward with the brace with higher degrees of flexion to try to reduce and counteract the um, the gravity for those knees to try to keep those ligaments from stretching out
2: tell me this are those are your findings different in any way de- dependent on autographed or allograft for the repair
1: so i don't think at this point because we are basically using the data that was published by kaiser permanente and and the moon group basically telling us that if you use an allograft within the knee joint, at least for an ACL, the the outcomes will not be as good for people that are less than 40 years old. So in my practice, I took that uh, to heart and I do not do any people that are significantly active or or that it has less than 40 years old. I, I won't do an allograft on those people. Whereas if they have less demands and, and if they're older than 40, I might propose them an allograft. So I haven't had a a big difference in my practice, but probably that's due to the fact that it might be biased because I use them for certain uh, sample of patients. And I don't use them uh, interchangeably in the same uh, basic group of people.
2: So, Jorge, what w- to summarize? What would have been your key messaging? Or what is your key messaging to surgeons that are listening? Um, you know, around uh, soft tissue repair around the knee.
1: So the first thing is that we need to understand the anatomy very well. LaPrat has done a tremendous job at trying to identify all the structures that we need to look for, even um, anatomically when you're seeing the knee wide open or also with uh, radiographic landmarks to try to place our ligaments where they need to be in the native insertion. That will bring us to a biomechanically sound construct that most likely than not will produce really good outcomes in the long term in that knowing that these people that have one, two, or three ligaments can go back to doing whatever they want to do as long as we do a good job at reconstructing these ligaments anatomically and sending them for a rehabilitation that can get the range of motion back pretty soon and and to to start working on strengthening and endurance exercises later on.
2: Jorge, um, I wish you well. Thank you for all that you're doing in in this tough moment. I, I sincerely mean that for everybody. Uh, in our orthopedic community you know I hope everyone stays safe keeps well washes your hands Uh, i want to thank you once again for your time and jumping on the show here and uh hope to see you one day in the future and and hopefully we'll be in circumstances where we shake hands and i'll let you buy me a beer
1: (laughs) thank you very much no shaking hands for now uh just the elbow bumps and uh uh, i'll take you up on all the beer